This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio, Tereo Irarangi. Ona tangata o Manawatu. Uh, it is a Thursday morning, and that means we welcome uh, someone who hasn't been on for a while. Don't know what happened, but we've got the, the diaries lined back up again. We have Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, on the phone. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you, too, Fraser. Now, I didn't have COVID, so that wasn't the reason I haven't been there. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, well, we're glad to have you back. Uh, I should apologise to listeners. I am uh, recording this in my dining room uh, the, the, this morning, and as such, there seems to be a slight echo in my dining room. I'm not sure why. Um, Ian, the what, what, what's your take on the, the most recent outbreak of COVID and the response to it? Oh, look, I think initially our response, the government's response thing, all you could expect to do. I think that the tragedy is that it seems to have got into a sector of our community who perhaps haven't been vaccinated as, as well as they could. And, and it's a bit of an interesting situation because if you think about the fact that we went into act, uh, vaccinating ourselves in age groups, and then you look at the demographics of New Zealand, uh, and our Pacific Island people and our Maori people don't feature so highly in the over 65. And so, so it could well be that they've been late to the vaccination party as well as the vaccination process being slow. And so so that's, I think that's extraordinarily unfortunate and very sad. But, but um, otherwise, I think, you know, the government had to react in the way they did. Whether the, whether the, the, the disease had to get out of the first place or the, or the, or the um, COVID um, uh, Delta variant of COVID had to get out of the first place, another issue. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of uh, criticism from the opposition benches and a, a swathe of people in the community around this this response or the, the vaccination rollout. I guess uh, my question there is: Is the the perceived slower rollout a a, a symptom of our elimination approach? Because we're one of very few countries that have gone down this um, elimination route, aren't we? Yes, and I think to date it's, uh, it's probably you have to say it's been successful. I don't think that I don't think the vaccination rollout is a symptom of that. Though. I think it, it was becoming a symptom of that. This will certainly turn that round uh, because people will realise that that uh, I mean, all the international statistics tell you that that you're much better off in this environment if you're vaccinated. In fact, the chances of uh, of ending up in hospital if you do catch COVID having been vaccinated are very very slim, and so it's improved. It's uh, outlook hugely, and I think I think the, the problem we we should have really got on with the vaccine much faster than we did. And I think that's obviously our problem. Australia's left from that, and, and they're moving very quickly now, but it's taken them a while as well. Uh, so certainly, vaccination is the key. Uh, whether you like vaccination or not, I think it's the key to to what goes on here. We've got to get on with it. Is it uh, not true though that because the the rollout has been slower? 
Um, now that uh, the opportunity is there and we've had this a- outbreak, have the stars somewhat not aligned? Because a lot of people are, are taking it upon themselves to get the vaccination. It's not, it's not so much the criticism of the government anymore. It would be the criticism of the individual if they didn't get it because the opportunities are now there. We look at Manfield and your electorate, for example, a, a great opportunity to get a vaccination in a very timely manner. Exactly, and a very, and very, a very clever setup as well, and uh, one that I think other parts of New Zealand are claiming to have uh, um, set up first. But nonetheless, we'll take that. But oh, I think I think you're partly right, and I th- I do think though that people were were lethargic, I suppose, about vaccination prior to this. But there was also clearly um, we've been slow to get the vaccine into the country and slow to get it moving out. We've now got it, and hopefully, it will proceed at a great rate, uh, and it needs to. And uh, the vaccination rates are better now on a daily basis than they were in the UK at the peak of their rollout. So we're obviously, something is going well. Is it fair then for your leader, Judith Collins, to be suggesting uh, that uh, if Labour had the talent, Chris Hipkins would be uh, told to resign? <laughs> well, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think it's probably fair. But I, so I, do, I, do, I do think that... Um, you know, the, the position we're now in uh, with respect to COVID is very different than the position we were in a few weeks ago. And I think that, that everything that happens from now on is critical. And I think the government's got to be uh, upfront and explain to people very well what's going on. Because if they don't, it will become very confusing. And so I guess that's what drives some of the call around uh, happens and, and, um, and the way that you might uh, politically refer to these things. Uh, it's just the way it is in politics. I know that um, Parliament isn't meeting at the moment, um, although select committees are, I understand, but the, 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 Parliament, how, the House of Parliament itself is not meeting at the moment, and, and, and all the other parties, apparently, with the exception of the governing party, are, are calling for this to be addressed in some way, either the uh, bring the House back together or maybe look at the Epidemic Response Committee. Um, what's, what's your take on this? Because, I mean, the lockdown this time round has been significantly different in that there was not a forecast prolonged period of time where it would make sense to put effort into setting up an ep- epidemic response committee. At the moment, we've been looking at you know, uh, three or four days at a time. I think it's extremely frustrating. Uh, I think. Uh, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Sorry, I just missed, I missed you for a minute. I, I think it's extremely frustrating. I think the issue that we've got here is that, that select committees do not do in any way the job of Parliament because there's no ability to ask questions of the health, uh, without being basically hijacked by the process. So they don't work. So it doesn't matter what the government thinks. Select committees don't work. Uh, the Epidemic Response Committee, in my view, works to a point. But I really think that when you look at the, the um, number of People in New Zealand who have to go out to work every day, and I'm sitting not far from State Highway 1 here, and the vehicles, or trucks particularly, going past on there, looking after the rest of us, it's pretty amazing. So you've got people out there every day looking after us, from the supermarket workers to the nurses to the health workers to the people in aged care residences, and and yet the government's decided that 10 or a dozen politicians can't meet in Wellington to uh, effectively question the Prime Minister and her government on, on the activities that are going on. I think it's an extraordinary affront to democracy myself. 
and, and I think uh, it's very annoying. Uh, I can't believe that Parliament can't be reconvened, uh, I, and I can't believe there's any more danger to anybody by Parliament reconvening than there is now, uh, where we don't have it um, convened, and, and we're effectively, uh, I guess, shutting up exploration of the government activities. Is it fair, though, to call this uh, some sort of dictatorship? That was another criticism that I think Judith Collins led the charge on, that this we, we must resist dictatorships in New Zealand. Is that not a bit excessive when it's, an, a, it's a response to a pandemic and originally, you know, the lockdown was going to be, what, four or five days? And then it was extended, and then it was extended again. But at no point did we think... Uh, or did anyone forecast a prolonged shutdown that would necessitate a lot of effort in a different governmental approach uh, during the lockdown? I don't think anyone questions the fact that, that, that the initial week of Parliament being shut down was probably uh, half sensible. I think the real issue is that this can go on and on. And and I think with respect to, um, uh, I guess, um, a dictatorship, I'm not sure I'd go down that path, but I think the issue that we've got is that, that Parliament effectively is the people's opportunity to ask questions of the government and of the government's direction. And uh, I don't think anywhere else in the world has Parliament been shut down because of a lockdown. Uh, and so effectively in other countries in the world, the Parliaments are still meeting and, and where, where we've had these types of lockdowns. I think that's the issue. And, and I think that it, it doesn't take you see, you don't need 120 politicians to run parliament. You only need about 10. Uh, and I think it's a very different issue. And the epidemic response committee is a little the same, except that the prime minister makes sure that she doesn't appear in front of the epidemic response committee. And so it becomes difficult to ask the leader of our country uh, questions on the activities of the government. It, it, it's it's not just the 10 politicians, though, is it? Because it's also the Speaker of the House, the support people, the civil servants, all the other people that are involved in the process as well. That's right. You've got to realise they're all working anyway. So all those people are working either in ministers' offices or in uh, some place uh, because we're effectively we're, we're qualified, uh, categorised in the same manner that nurses and, and, um, and uh, other essential workers are. So we're an essential worker ourselves. So... So effectively, we're all still working in some environment or another. Um, so, I mean, the, 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 with the, the vaccine rollout, with the, the, the closure of Parliament or the inability for Parliament to meet and hold the, the government to account, um, the, 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 the final criticism that I've picked up on from the opposition is that uh, with these continual extensions of lockdown, that this is somehow a symptom of government losing control on the coronavirus. Do you support that narrative as well? Has the government lost control of things? Well, I, th- I think that the, the criticism in that respect probably relates to the fact that, that our borders weren't as secure as they could have been. Now, it's easy to say that, and, and you know, I, I think that um, this disease or this uh, virus is clearly quite elusive, and so uh, and it's elusive man in nature, it's going to cause trouble. So, so I, I, I think that we may be able to, have, we may have to be able to do better, but who would know that? And and I just, I just think that going forward, though, some critical decisions are going to have to be made because clearly everywhere else in the world they've given up the fight against this, uh, this um, uh, 
uh, variant of COVID, and and it will it will um, turn into some other variant in due course as well because it's the way these viruses work. And so I think I think there's a lot of questions that need to be asked to be had as to where we go to in the next few weeks because there are some very stressed people out there because of the constant lock or not the constant lockdown because of the lockdown and it just creates a huge amount of uncertainty in some of those people that, are, that actually make the country work. There, there would be a, a body of people that would say, yes, there are a lot of stressed people out there. That might be preferable to a lot of dying or dead people out there. And that's the, 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 the interesting thing with this, the worldwide narrative in that, that, yes, there are countries that have given up the fight on this. They've gone back to business as usual, but their health systems are really under the, the thumb and people are dying. In New Zealand, our health system, um, uh, well, the, the government's got its own criticisms of the state of the health system, but it is not under such stress because we've taken this elimination approach. Surely that is something that we can be proud of and support, that we have not got dying and dead people to the same extent as the, the rest of the world. Oh, yeah, I think that's a little different. That, that's a very different point. I mean, I, I do think that one of the critical issues here, or measures here, has got to be the ability of our health system to, ca- to cope with whatever goes on. And again, that goes straight back to the vaccination thing because all of the countries who have vaccinated are finding that this variant of COVID is not putting people in hospital uh, when they're vaccinated. And so, so clearly, if we've been, if we were vaccinated, then I think the pressure on the health system changes dramatically, and that allows us to make some very different decisions. We are here with Ian McKelvey on the catch-up this morning, uh, live from my dining room. Sorry for the echo. Uh, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website, mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Um, sticking with uh, the virus, uh, it, you must be really pleased that your electorate and, and, and Manfield was used as uh, a trial, really, for the drive-through vaccination clinic. Did you have any hand and in, in the organisation or uh, or um, facilitation of that? No, I can't claim to have had any hand in that. But I just accept that the that the, uh, the medical community and fielding, or the doctors' community and fielding, and the health centre there, of course, have been a long time project of the uh, Manawatu district, and to get it to go running at the rate it's running at, and now to be able to take the lead and that sort of thing, pretty exciting for the community, I think. So that so it's very well done for the fielding doctors and their team at the Mental 2 uh, Health Centre. So, yeah, very good. And, and I think the other thing, just on, on that, you know, I think we've been very fortunate in, in rural, provincial New Zealand that we've really dodged this um, COVID to a large extent. And, and, you know, I guess you've got to put that down to some of the government protection they've put around it too. And, of course, you don't have international air, although I can see Ohaku Airport <laughs> Airport's uh, based right out my window. Uh, we don't have international planes flying into every other part of New Zealand but Christchurch and uh, and uh, often, basically. Um, looking, I mean, the, the opposition is very quick to criticise government, and that is what it should do. And in actual fact, I believe that's all it can do. It can't criticise any individuals or, or any agencies underneath necessarily. But the, to what extent 
uh, is the criticism of the government always uh, accurate when in actual fact the government setting, for example, a mandate, it's up to, in some cases, individuals to wear the face masks. It's up to the health professionals to do the vaccines. And we've heard uh, recently that there, there may have been a blunder uh, with some of the vaccines and, and saline used instead. These are not issues with the government's rollout of the vaccine necessarily, are they? No, and you've got onto a topic that I'm quite, um, uh, I'm sort of quite keen on, really, and, and not keen. I wouldn't say keen, but good word. But but one of the things I don't like is the constant blaming of people, whether it's by the opposition or by the government or whoever. And I think actually most people uh, in in our country, and probably most people in the world, do their very best to make sure it's happen in an orderly manner. And when mistakes are made, we're always calling for blood, and I, I don't really think that's the ideal answer to things. So so I'm not in the, in the camp where we should collect to all that blood, so to speak, every time something goes wrong. Uh, and, and on that note, then, are, are, are you happy with how, for example, the contact tracing teams have been working? Because uh, Dr. Bloomfield has been saying they, they've basically been flat out since the, the lockdown was announced last Wednesday. I see the uh, locations of interest list is almost 470 uh, places long. Um, they seem to be doing a relatively thorough job. Well, they've changed the rules, of course, in respect to that, because, and, and I think the excuse is that this variant of COVID is more um, tra- easily transmittable. So, so rather than just picking people who were specific to the location at the time, they're now picking uh, on everybody effectively who was in that location. And so, so it's created a much bigger job. I think if you were into criticism, the criticism here would be that we don't have the capacity and we should have. And, and perhaps you could argue that we should have envisaged the capacity that might be required in the, fact, in the event of a breakout like we've got now. And so, so um, I think they're doing a good job, but I think it, it's, it's clearly not going quickly enough. And I just saw some photos out of town Manui uh, a minute ago. Someone sent me some photos showing queues of people. Uh, and it's not exactly uh, healthy for us to be queuing at a time when we're supposed to be isolated. Uh, and so I think, that, I think you could easily criticise the rollout of all that stuff, but I'm sure the people that are involved are doing a great job, and I think, and I think, you know, they're doing their very best. We um, seem to, in Manawatu and Rangitiki, seem to have gotten away with this so far. There was that one location of interest in Bulls, the BP. Uh, I think the the the, the time. Uh, span has been sufficient to say that uh, that person went through and managed not to infect anyone. All the infections seem to be uh, Coromandel, Auckland and Wellington. Um, We've got an announcement coming very soon with regards to what the alert level will be moving forward. Um, What are your thoughts on on breaking things up, having different parts of the country and different alert levels? I know for in particular the South Island has been calling out to basically be isolated uh, as an entirety, the mainland on its own, and get them back to alert level one and back to business as usual. Yes, I I think that's where the government's going to have to look to go on Friday. And I I mean, I, I... I suppose I've got to say I support where they've got to so far because this thing could have gone anywhere and it still could. Uh, you know, it, it would, um, given the magnitude of what's happening in Auckland uh, and the, and the number of, um, of of places that that are being checked, it could easily be that this could still arise in the South Island. That would be a great change if did that. 
So, yeah, I'm, I'm in favour of trying to break up the country a bit and get some parts of the country moving a bit quicker than others. Uh, and the South Island is clearly a, an obvious case, and you could argue that um, the centre of the North Island was another one. Uh, but, um, you know, that will be for the government to decide on Friday. Uh, you are the opposition spokesperson, I believe, for, in essence, one of the most vulnerable communities at this time. Um, how how are they coping with things like contact tracing and registers? Because it's a horrible stereotype to, to draw on, but it, 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 is a, it can be accurate at times. Smartphones and the like, not necessarily the easiest things to navigate with the QR codes, etc., no, so there's two or three things that come out of that little discussion. Um, obviously, fortunately, the large number of people who live in, in care facilities have pretty much been vaccinated. So so pretty much all of our aged people are in care facilities or any kind, whether it's um, retirement villages or, or aged care facilities, have been vaccinated. So that's a great sign. And I, and I, the other thing that's become pretty obvious to me as I get around the country, I've asked some questions on the answer. But it seems to me a very high percentage of people over 65 have also been vaccinated. And I guess that probably comes from the fact that that many of us have lived through the things like the polio epidemic and measles and all those sort of things, which um, some of our younger people in New Zealand, of course, haven't had their ever um, with us. Uh, and so there's quite an incentive for old people to get vaccinated. So I think from that perspective, uh, they're in good order. I do think that the contact tracing is a challenge for a lot of them. In fact, I saw one the other day taking a photo with his camera of the, of the, uh, um, Michelle was a bloke, giving, <laughs> taking a photo of the, of the COVID tracing thing rather than um, just scanning it. Uh, and so clearly there's some quite big challenges around technology and the use of technology to, to achieve, uh, the ends that the government want to achieve with respect to the sort of contact tracing and things like that. So that's a bit interesting. So there's a challenge for our older community. Uh, I think on the whole they're bearing up pretty well and I think on the whole they've done very well with vaccination stuff. Um, we've got a few minutes left, uh, Ian. If we turn our attention to a different issue uh, for a moment, and, and this is the, the withdrawal from Af- Afghanistan, something that's sort of unfolded almost alongside this most recent uh, lockdown. Um, I'm hopefully going to be speaking to Tang Utikeri, MP for Palmerston North, on Friday as well, and I want to touch on this as well, because um, it, this has happened really quickly, and, and politics and your thoughts on the Taliban and everything aside, it looks like... Like we're going to be getting an influx of Defence Force personnel, asylum seekers, New Zealand citizens, um, and MIQ is at capacity. Where, how, how is this all going to work? Well, that's going to create some big challenges. And I did hear the minister on the on the on TV a bit earlier talking about um, shipping people into Wellington into into MIQ because the facility in Wellington is not well used because we don't get a lot of uh, overseas people through there. So that's one of the ways. But but I just want to go back to the Afghanistan thing. And, you know, I've been around in public life long enough to have been to a number of um, funerals of servicemen who served and were killed in action in Afghanistan. And I noticed the two two of our former prime ministers commenting on that this morning as well. And I, I, I know New Zealand couldn't have done anything about this, but I just think it's an extraordinary tragedy that you'd go into a place like that for 20 years, spend an exorbitant amount of uh, energy and, and human resource, try and resolve an issue, then pull out and let them take over. And and they only took over because of the pullout. And I, I just think that, you know, I feel very sorry for our defence force people and, and those families of particular people who've been injured and, and whatever else in Afghanistan. Uh, I, I think it's an extraordinary um, 
situation. So there's a couple of things going on, isn't there? One is we've got um, families coming to New Zealand, and I, I think from there's a you'd be surprised. Well, well, you might not be, but it's surprising to me how many Afghani people there are in our part of New Zealand, and that's because I guess of the association with the defence forces. And it's surprising how many of them have only got half their family here. So, so we had a person in our office last week that had left his wife and, and family in uh, Afghanistan, came to the office desperate, and that his wife and family have been on the first plane back into New Zealand. So that's very exciting for them. So, so you can sort of see the human side of this. It's quite, um, you know, and I think in a, despite all the MIQ issues and all the others, I, I think it's an exceptional circumstance. And it's one we've got to make um, work as best we can. Is it the view of uh, the government as well that uh, th- this has only happened because of the pullout and, and we wanted to stay? Because obviously the New Zealand Defence Force can't help Afghanistan on its own. We're not big enough. We need the, the, the allies and, and the Americans to do that. America's pulled out. Is this going to have uh, relationship, uh, this going to create relationship issues between New Zealand and America? I, I don't think so because we'd actually pulled out uh, prior to them pulling out but. But I, you're quite right. We couldn't. Um, all we can do is assist. And, and our role, our, our defence forces' role, and I actually think it's quite exciting and it's reasonably well accepted now, is, is one of being international peacekeepers. And whilst they get into a, um, and you know, they're always in danger as peacekeepers, it is, it is a, I think it's an exciting use of our, of our people that want to go into the defence forces. And actually, the defence force people, they went into the defence forces to serve, not to work in the MIQ facilities. And so, so it's quite exciting for those people who've gone to Afghanistan to rescue these people because they're actually doing what they were trained to do. But if we, I mean, how long is it going to be until we see some human rights abuses in Afghanistan at the hands of the Taliban and we're going to have to go back? I don't think we will go back. I think, um, I think that having pulled out, I can't see. Uh, America, for example, going back in the hour, just don't think it'll happen. Wow. So, so if there are human rights abuses, those people will be on their own and the world will just watch? It seems to me that's going to be what's going to happen because it's absolutely obvious that there were going to be human rights abuses should they take over. And so, so I remember um, our former prime ministers having to explain at length that that our people in Afghanistan were there to train Afghanis to um, look after their own country. But, well, we spent years and years trying to do that, and that didn't work because it took a day and a half for them to <laughs> virtually take over Kabul. So I, I, I don't have any faith in what might happen or might not happen there in the future. I just think that we've made a decision for some reason, uh, or the Western world's made a decision for some reason to pull out of Afghanistan, and, and I can't see us ever going back. Uh, just to wrap up, Ian, with about a minute to go, we are going to be hearing an announcement soon on what the government's decision is with regard to uh, alert level extensions or, or descending through the numbers. What's what's the outcome that you're hoping? Well, obviously, the ideal outcome would be for them to say we've gotten rid of it and we're down to alert level one again. But in in a in, in a realistic setting with Auckland and Wellington in the mix, what what's your desired outcome? Oh, look, I think, I think that Auckland's clearly going to stay locked down uh, at level four for some time to come yet, probably at least a couple of weeks and probably possibly longer. And it looks to me like Northland might have to join them. Uh, and so so if you think that that's going to happen, and there is a possibility, of course, that you could isolate Wellington. 
uh, as well as you thought it was worthwhile. But I, but I doubt that they will do that. I think that the South will get off the hook on uh, Friday. And the rest of us, uh, I just don't want to make a prediction, but I'd like to think that you'd leave Auckland and Wellington uh, perhaps locked down for a little longer and let the rest of us go. <laughs> but that might not be how it will be. Uh, Ian McElvey, MP for Rangitiki, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Thank you. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're back tomorrow with Tangi Utikere, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North. Join us then. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.